Hi, I'm Mitch Casper, and welcome to WinnipegHockeyTalk.com podcast number 72. Today I'm going to be joined by my regular co-host, Daryl Mangelenko. Well, Manny, after an eight-month eight month hiatus, we're back at her. Well, you know, it's kind of funny how it goes, eh? Um, but, you know, I've had to make the trip all the way down to Morris uh, to Motown to see if actually you were alive <laughs> and that that uh, you weren't in Arizona because I didn't believe that you said that you were coming back early. So, But it's great to, to actually do this face-to-face, so it's uh, it's going to be fun. Well, it's a little, it makes it a little bit easier. And, uh, and to be honest, to, to our listeners out there, one of the reasons that, for me, that we weren't doing a lot of the podcast was is I lost faith in some of the software we were using. I was getting it was getting glitchy. It's hard to do on Skype. You know, I'm in Arizona, Manny's here and our guests are in another spot. So it was getting to be uh, a bit of a chore at times and I didn't trust the technology. Um, I think if you know going on further, I think we're gonna go we're probably gonna step up our game a little bit, get proper mixing boards, uh, microphones the whole schmear and maybe uh, do a lot more, do you know a more regular podcast. Maybe we're even talking about doing some on, you know, on location, like kind of, kind of live, but being recorded. So, yeah, that's some of the thoughts we've had going into the future. But uh, we're here now. We're going to talk about the Jets. Uh, uh, we're at the halfway point uh, of the season. The Jets. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say they've been a surprise, but it's been a pleasant. It's it's you know it's been pleasant to watch the way this team has morphed, especially from last year. We're at the top of the league. Uh, pinch me am I dreaming well I mean if you listen to the pundits uh, from the spring you know last spring right through to to the the preseason you know uh, pronostications the Jets were not going to be a a playoff team Uh, they were going to be just on the outside looking in and they were going to be an improved team but they felt that the other teams in the division in particular the you know the central were going to be super strong again and uh, so, you know, uh, Chicago got off to a slow start and they're finding their way back into the mix uh, again. Minnesota in particular has had a tough tough stretch. And so that leaves the opportunity for teams like Winnipeg to jump in and they've taken advantage of it with some, some really good play. So, you know, all in all, a uh, bit of a surprise. But, you know, as, as someone once said, you are what your record is and they're first in the division. Right, you know. During the off season, they made a couple key pickups, and at the time, I thought they were key. And it was probably the two free agents that I wanted them to get was Steve Mason, and Dmitry Kulikov. Um, as it turns out, uh, Steve Mason's making one hell of a backup, and Kulikov has uh, fit in very nicely with Tyler Myers. Well, Mason's been a bit of hard luck kind of scenario, oh, right? For sure, yeah. You know, when the Jets weren't weren't super strong at the beginning of the year, he was the recipient of you know, some bad play in front of them. And, you know, uh, and and certainly it's changed since that in terms of the team play. But Mason's been, you know, a lack of run support when he's been playing as a result of his, uh, you know, his less than average uh, record at this point in time. For sure. Um, I mean, we need look no further than, well, we're talking about goaltending. You know, there's a couple of things that stand out. Connor Hellebuck has been lights out. Uh, I mean, he's basically one of the major re- I mean there's a lot of reasons but he's probably been the major reason for the turnaround right well there's no question about it and you know last year we talked about uh, if the Jets wanted to get anywhere they they needed to have goaltending and they've had that in spades and 
and quite frankly, you know, there's a lot of discussion now of uh, whether Wheeler is, you know, our heart uh, trophy candidate and whether he should be, you know, on a league level be the guy that's uh, uh, reconsidered in that mix because he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. But you know what? Connor Hellebuck has to be a part of that conversation and it's uh, goalies never get put into that conversation. But without Hellebuck, and in particular, you can use last night's game against Colorado. If it wasn't for Hellebuck, uh, there's no going to overtime and there's no uh, you know no bonus point for, for the Jets last night. And, and it's funny too how statistics can be misleading. Helly's save percentage last night was 885, but... He was awesome. So, yeah. So he made a couple five-alarm bell saves that uh, he doesn't make those. We're not even thinking over time. But that just goes to show you that sometimes the stats, all stats aren't created equal. And I know guys hate, especially analytics guys hate when you say a timely save. But there's a such thing as a timely save, and he had a few of them last night. Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. So here's another thing. Uh, we're at the halfway point, 41 games, and we've only only played 18 home games. The Jets' home record is 14-3-1. How long have Jet fans been waiting for Bell MTS Place, uh, formerly the MTS Center, to be uh, a place that was feared to come into? Uh, I think we're there, and it's nice that in the second half, we actually play more home games than road, so that's got to be uh, looking good too, right? Well, I guess at the end of the day, you could look at the at the, the structure in which they're playing and how they're playing matchups and all of these different issues that come into play. The Jets have been strong when they've been in control of the matchup game and and that's that's an important uh piece to to this conversation they've they've had the good matchups they've had the depth which allows you to get the matchups that you're looking for and uh, and as a result there you've got an outstanding record you know and and on the road their record has been less than favorable uh in that regard and and you know last night there were some good examples of of some less than adequate matchups. Well, it's a funny thing about you mentioned the road. Uh, the road record, it's not awful, and it's obviously not great, but the funny thing is we've had a chance to go for the loser point, the bonus point, eight times, and we've uh, succeeded once, and that was a shootout victory over Philadelphia at home. Um, we've gone to overtime six times and only one once or have we won no we're owing six in overtime uh five of those on the road so you know we, we we've garnered five points uh you split those in half let's say you win three and you lose three all of a sudden the road record's over 500 and things look pretty good so you know i i would be concerned if three on three overtime was part of the playoffs it's not it's just a vehicle for ending uh for deciding a game and we haven't been good at it um, I have some theories on it. There's all kinds well, of things. Sure. You, you know, when you look at last night's game in particular, you know, maybe not a good example because the the entire night they played loose and they played a higher risk game all you know all evening. Uh, but generally speaking, they're three on three. You know, there's some player utilization issues there. There's some usage issues in terms of uh, uh, you know. Myers or, or 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 even Truba for that matter, it's three on three. That perhaps they would be better off uh, putting a, a a player like Ehlers on the back end with a couple of forwards and running three forwards that way. I think that makes a lot of sense. But one key component is their shifts are way too long. And and one thing I liked about what Colorado did last night in particular is if they were running out of gas, uh, Gerard would have 
he took that puck out of the zone, restarted, got a quick change, and kept on going. And and I think the Jets would you know would do well by by looking at that and and changing their philosophy a little bit on on three on three. For sure, um, you know it's kind of funny to sit back. You know, I think the Jets have probably since the start of December they've uh, they've garnered points in nineteen of their thirty two games, which you know is decent. Or sorry, I'm sorry, eleven out of sixteen games and nineteen out of thirty two points. So. Uh, they're getting their lion's share of points, which is which is great. Uh, be nice if a few of those overtime losses were were wins. But uh, we're sitting here, back, sitting back here, nitpicking about you know the three on three and some of the things that happened. How would you like to be the Oilers, back to back home games, getting smoked five nothing in your own building? And uh, this is a team that was, I think, preseason pundits had them as a conference uh, winners, if not Stanley Cup winners. Would <laughs> well, there's. Uh, you know, it's it's clear that Edmonton's got some issues, right? And and I think I think last year they got some good goaltending. Oh, here's that goaltending word again. And Talbot's been, you know, average. You know, he he hasn't been uh, the same goalie as he was last year. And that's, but you know, I was listening to the Edmonton uh, broadcast after post game last night because after losing two straight games like that, I I was curious as to what they had to say, and. Two names came up. One, Eric Griba, who just got you know put through waivers and sent down to the minors, and the other one was Matt Hendricks. And those two names came up because they talked about glue, they talked about in room issues, and all of those different things. So I guess there's some value in those intangibles that that come into play. So you know maybe you wouldn't think that two guys like that. You know, let's let's be honest, they're not your front end of your lineup, but you know, clearly there's something to it when the players and the team around Edmonton is saying, we miss these guys. Well, the funny thing about it is, is <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, right now there's the, the, the two teams are going in different directions and the one constant there was Hendricks. Now, uh, I don't I don't believe that for a minute. Uh, and it makes interesting fodder for the guys that do believe in that. And I know I know numbers guys can't stand. They, when, when you can't quantify something, the unknown, uh, if the numbers don't, tell you it is what it is uh they don't believe in in intangibles but there is intangibles in sports we all know that um yeah matt hendricks uh it's kind of funny like uh the guys in the room love him the coaches love him he's like he's like another coach on the ice i guess yeah uh there has to be some something to it I, i i i can't write it off i can't explain it i don't dare to write it off just sit back enjoy it and uh you know, let's see who who see who steps up to be the Matt Hendricks next year. I don't see him coming back at his age, but you never know. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, moving along, I want we touched on it a, t- a touch a bit earlier on. Um, the the Myers Kulikov pairing. What's I know a lot of people don't like it, and they get. I think I mentioned it in my random thoughts. They get crapped on all the time. I don't understand why. I mean. Your team isn't going to... You're not going to have six Eric Carlsons and six Norris Trophy guys. You know, you can call them the second pairing now or the third D pairing. Whatever they are, uh, I think they work work quite well. And I, I just like the way they're playing. Yeah, Are they perfect? No. Is Truba perfect? Hell no. He gets he gets a lot of praise and a lot of, uh, a lot of props in this city and around the league. Um, we've talked about it before. Um, we've talked about it last year when Josh was basically just a, almost like a rookie. He might be our best defenseman. 
Um, I think he's. I think he is our best defenseman. The the glaring uh, turnovers and and uh, you know out of position. Uh, he's always got his feet moving. Um, he's always he's always going. And I think I think there is a little bit of uh, nitpicking when it comes to to Myers and Kulikov because. I mean, let's be honest. They've been thrusted into a, you know, with the injury to Bufflin, uh, thrusted into more ice time, more situations, more PK, more power play, um, and that wears down on a guy like Myers in particular. And and certainly Kulikov didn't get off to a great start, but he certainly has has picked up his game and continued on to. And let's be honest, their their underlying stats from an analytical perspective, they're at fifty two percent, both of them. So. Clearly, they're winning the matchups or the battles in terms of puck possession uh, on average. Well, and the thing is, Dmitry Kulikov's not the Buffalo Kulikov, right? He was pretty good in Florida. Um, yeah, things didn't work out in Buffalo. That's fine. Tyler Myers didn't play last year. Um, he was off to a bit of a slow start, but they rebounded nice. I just, I like the pairing. I think they work well together. And uh, put it this way, I'm, I'm not afraid when they're on the ice. Are they perfect? Like we said, no. But what what which one of our pairings are perfect? We all have our moments. Um, you mentioned it's... Josh. I just wanted to just run this by you. And we've talked about this before, and, and many fans ask, why is it that Toby and Josh are basically kind of almost the same player, the same size, the same skill set? Why is Josh so much more effective? Well, I think he's he, he he won't shy away from the physical part of it, and he will be a lot more aggressive on that that side of it. Um, and and I think from a, uh, just an overall game, he's he's used to. I mean, he grew up in the WHL. He's 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 played a hard style of game. He's his skills are based on uh, a tougher. You know, I, I shouldn't use the word tough, but a but a more grinding style of hockey, and he's excelled at it. So, it, to me, it's. It, there's there's some similarities, but there's also some very distinct differences. Well, and the thing is also too is that uh, Josh grew up playing the new rules, where Toby didn't. That makes a big difference too. You never see Josh take the penalties like Toby does with the reach round. I mean, Toby's got that extra long freak stick, and it doesn't even help him at times because that free hand gets in the way. Where where guys like like, like the younger defensemen now. They're used to the the obstruction and the holding rules, and they play a different game. And you're right, Josh has always had an edge to his game. I know there was guys in his uh, in his draft year that actually compared him a little bit to Nicholas Cronwell. They said a smaller guy with you know he's he's got some bite to his game, and we've seen it. He's not he's not shy at all. And playing in the WHL and grinding 72 games a year plus playoffs um, has definitely toughened him up. He's a small guy that plays. Uh, Probably four inches bigger than he really is. So yeah, um. but you know, it's it makes for an interesting question going forward in terms of what this defensive group is going to look like because Toby's probably what a a week away or so, um, and you know what you know what do we do there with when Toby gets in the lineup? And I know Sachi asked us at uh, at, at our hashtag Ask WHT Pod. He asked us a question about. Well, that he, very thing. Yeah, he said, what's the future for Toby Enstrom? Uh, will he be dealt at the deadline, or are the Jets going to keep him around just to get him pounded in the playoffs? Well, um, I, I mean, if they're in contention, do you want to change the chemistry? They, they've, you know, it's, been, it's been said year after year that you probably need in the course of a season 
as as many as eight defensemen in your lineup. Um, so I don't think you give him away. Um, I don't think we resign him this year to, to anything. Uh, I guess you know if there was interest in Enstrom and and Chevy got an offer he couldn't refuse at the deadline, they would have to consider it. But right now, I think he's probably here till the end of the year. And they'll make a decision on him in the offseason. Uh, Enstrom will retire as a Winnipeg Jet. Uh, he will He will not get traded. I think there's a loyalty factor. Uh, the Jets will, you know, I mean, let's be re, you know, realistic about how they operate. Um, his gesture to waive his, his no-trade clause uh, for the expansion draft, the Jets have no intention of trading him. But I do believe his utilization will change. Do you think um, they bring him back next year at, we'll say, $2 million a year for a couple of years, two and a half? He's not making five or six, right? No, he's not. Uh, because that money's got to go elsewhere. We got to, you know, there's some other players that uh, their contracts will kick in, uh, as well as some other players that need to get a new contract, you know, like Alina. They're going to have to start stocking, you know, the cash for, for him. Um, the emergence, though, of, of Tucker Pullman as being a very reliable player throws a, a bit of a wrench into this mix. Um, so I don't know. Do you bring him back? Uh, what do you do with a Sherrod and a Pullman then if you bring him back, right? Because you've got, you've, you're committed to everybody else, but, you know, the wild card still remains. What happens with Chuba? Well, that's right. Um. You know, all <laughs> of this, all of this is moot if, if that issue doesn't get, get resolved. You know, but, and I know you're pretty hard on Truba, so, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's a very good player, but, you know, like, what, what, what gets your goat with him? Well, here's the thing. Um, I've, I've been a big Truba supporter since the, since they drafted him. I thought that he was a, an interesting and a, a very shrewd, smart pick, developed nicely. I just, you know what? I'm 63 years old, and I've been through WHA Jets, Jets 1.0, and Jets 2.0 now. And one thing that gets my back hairs up is when a player disrespects um, the city or my intelligence. That whole charade last year with him and Overhart with the the usage and uh, I want to be the man and all this. You know what? If you want it out, just say you want out. Don't use horse crap um, excuses like, no, he wasn't getting enough power play. He was playing on the. He doesn't want to play on the left side. You know what? He he's too young, and he wasn't good enough to dictate anything. You know, at his current age, is he going to be a star? Yes, he's probably already halfway there. He's a very good player, but that's what got me. So now he's had his cho- his chance to be the man. Well, we've seen him run the power play. It's scary. I don't like it. I don't think he's very good on it. Um, he's playing a lot of tough minutes. He's far from perfect. He turns the puck over so much, and nary a word gets said about it. If Kulikov or Myers puke one up, it's it's front page news and blasted all over Twitter. So I'm tough on Truba because he made his own bed, and so I'm critical of him. Do I still like him? Yes. Do I still want him to be here long term? Absolutely. But I'm not buying into that narrative. I don't. I still don't think he wants to be here. This is going to be a big summer, and you're right. That's uh, he is the wild card here. He really, really is. And, you know, it's, if you look at Truba's turnovers, last night there was a few that were glaring. I mean, there was a five-minute stretch uh, on consecutive shifts in with Truba in particular where that puck got turned over and there were odd man rushes. And I'm thinking, 
it's a two-one hockey game. Why are we? Why are we? You know, playing like that? And and last night's not a good example because they played very loose across the board. But at the same time, over the course of the entire season, Truba was not the same Truba as he was last year. And there's a bit of a funk there that hopefully has nothing to do with anything other than you can't be great all the time. And, and, and I'm along with you. I'd rather have him with us than against us. But he is the he is the fly in the ointment at this point well, in times in terms of the long term picture. And to answer and to answer uh, uh, uh question, I guess that, that really decide will determine what the Jets do with Enstrom. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm kind of guessing that, you know, let's just go the other way. If they do trade Truba, I'm thinking that coming back our way, depending on, you know, what conference, which team, I would think a, a comparable defenseman, kind of a top six, or top six, sorry, top four defenseman coming back our way. So, yeah, that that could happen. But uh, the thing with Truba is uh, Paul Maurice obviously trusts him. He's playing big minutes. He's playing tough matchups. And for the most part, he's playing pretty well. But he's not what he thinks he is or what Kurt Overhart thinks he is. That's right. He's and, getting close, though. And but. Morrissey's proven that point. And maybe that's the, you know, Morrissey has shown the ability to have an offensive side that's responsible. Uh, and, and I mean, Truba is, uh, you know, Truba simply hasn't, uh, you know, put up the same numbers. You know, now there's only three points different, but... You know, five goals versus two. You know, and and the, some of those goals were were big goals for the Jets. Uh, so I think Truba is the better, or is 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 a great defenseman, but I think Morrissey is a better defenseman, and Truba is not. You know, he's got to have to step it up here in the last half of the season. Well, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Uh, Jake's had the crown for a few weeks, and uh, now he knows uh, how B- Dustin Bufflin lives. Buff takes, it's funny, I mentioned to you uh, just before we came on air here that uh, I've never been a great Buff fan and I've been very critical of his play. I think he's been very irresponsible and selfish at times. But in the last year and a half, I find myself defending him more than criticizing him because, you know, a lot of what happens with Buff is not his fault. Coaches get Buff blind. Um, They play him a ton. Like, even last night, his first game back, boy, they really eased him in, didn't he? He played almost all the whole the, the whole overtime. That was a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, but the thing is with Buff is he does things naturally without even thinking that Jake, you see him struggle right now, a uh, little indecision. He, he's just not, you no, know, Buff is, you know what, I've said it and I'll say it again. Buff right now still is the straw that stirs the drink back there. He is still the man, and uh, I have no problem with him um being the lead guy, uh, I still think, I mean, if they want to give Truba and Josh the tough minutes, that's fine. But uh, don't kid yourself, the buff's still a major, major part of this blue line. And he probably will be for a while. And does he have his flaws? Absolutely. Um, we've seen pretty well, maybe even before the injury, we, we've seen a lot more of the good buff than the bad, and that's a good thing for us. Absolutely. So, now we've taken care of Truba, buff, Josh, so it's almost like we're grading them, but we'll get to that later on. later on the podcast uh we were talking about some of the successes and you know why the jets have been uh uh you know how how they flipped the standings well it's not just one thing Uh, we talked about heli i mean he's the major reason but there's a couple more all of a sudden we have responsible special teams i think i wrote one of my articles the last couple weeks it's nice to see the jets power play become a contributing part of society 
Penalty kill's not perfect. Power play's been good. I mean, face-offs up until last night, I think we were number one in the league. We dropped one spot because Philly uh, probably had a better night last night. But uh, we're at the top of the league in face-offs. We're at the top of the league in power play. Middle of the pack on the PK. We're getting great goaltending. The team is scoring 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, everything right now was working well. We're leading a, a pretty charmed life right now. Uh, you know, Shifley goes out of the lineup, and they bring in Matthias. He scores on his first shot. Next game, Tanev goes out. They bring in Dano. He scores on his right shot. Uh, let's not overanalyze it. Just enjoy it. But uh, there, there's a lot of been a lot of contributing factors to why this team is now, uh, you know, a contender in the Western Conference. And, and and I think it's important, you know, halfway through the season that, you know, let's not – Let's not nitpick to the, you know, just because we need to find something wrong. The reality is, is that we are fourth in the power on the power play in the league uh, at 24.2%. And a 24% power play is phenomenal considering 18 to 20 is considered to be in that, that high end, uh, that high end range to start with. But last year we looked at our, at our, our specialty teams and said, if we could be middle of the pack, that would have contributed to one or two more wins. And one or two more wins or three or four wins, whatever the, the number is, would make a difference. Well, we're middle of the pack on the PK. After a, a very slow start and a terrible start, it's developed and it's got themselves back into respectability. But the power play's there. And and uh, so, you know, that has to be, in particular, the power play has to be considered one of the reasons why we are where we are right now. The only thing I can nitpick on the power play is that um, we're at the you know right at the top of the league in the power play, but that's based on the power play at home. It's carrying the percentage of the road power play outside of the Oilers game last was it Sunday night on uh, yeah in Edmonton. The Jets actually did cash in a couple of power plays. The power play for the last month on the road has been non-existent, and it's actually cost us games. So uh, that's a nitpicky thing. But I'll I'll take consistency. Where we, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I mean, it's been it hasn't been very good on the road, and there's a reason for that. It's, you know, playing road games is just tougher. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a tougher animal. But uh, the power play at home is it's scary, isn't it? Like over thirty percent or something stupid like it's that. High. Yeah, yeah. So here's another uh, another another little note to talk about. I mean, the World Juniors on right now, and I've been watching the obviously like probably most Jet fans. Uh, unless they're you know at work, I'm retired, so I can do it. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching the Finland games, and I have to admit, I've been quite impressed with Christian Vasilainen. He's actually uh, he looks like uh, Patrick Laine light. <laughs> He's a very similar player. He's got nice hands, a pretty good shot, and uh, you know, one of his well, he was named Player of the Game versus Canada. He didn't he didn't hit the score sheet, but he's been good. Um, have you had a chance to see him, and what are your first impressions? Yeah, I, I've seen him play a few times, uh, and uh, you know, as a bigger player at that age, he's going to have to grow into you know um, adapting to his his you know height and and weight. He's you know he's he's already an NHL player in terms of size. He's six three two fifteen, I think it is. He's he's a big boy, and he's going to. But you know, with that, he's going to have to work on his skating a little bit. And and he looks like a player that's got another gear, you know. When if you if he turns it on, he I think he's going to be a lot faster than he looks. He still gets to where he needs to go to, and he's a very strategic sort of player out there. You can see he's working to soft spots, working to certain locations, and he's got some good hands. Before we get to doing our uh, our, our grading, our uh, 
like the midway point uh, are marks for the Jets and that. I want to just ask you about uh, about Vegas. Seventeen uh, two and one at home. <laughs> I mean, who who would have ever thought? I mean, I'm I'm thrilled with the with the uh, Jets record at fourteen three and one. Can you imagine being a uh, Vegas season ticket holder? And I mean, you've only seen them lose two times in twenty home games. They're they're for real. So let's let's uh, that narrative has to change, right? Uh, yeah. They're they're not they're not botting him out. Uh, that's not going to happen. They've built their team around second line, third line players. Uh, you know, call it second pairing defense across the board. And when you've got that kind of talent spread across, they're incredibly difficult to play against. Well, and they also too they got a couple of gifts. I mean, James Neal's a top six guy on any team, and yep. so was Marshall. So, so yeah, they did well. And I think that this has got to be the model now. Anytime going forward, if you're going to do an expansion. Not like the old days where they used to bring in two teams to get the crap beat out of them. You bring in one team at a time and follow the same kind of a formula. And, you know, these at least this, I'll say this, the Vegas owner basically got his money's worth for his entry fee instead of a bunch of crap. Well, hey, when you're spending $500 million U.S., you better be provided an opportunity to, to build a, a reasonable team out of the gate. Uh, and the rules have changed since the last time there was expansion. So they were certainly set up to succeed uh, right out of the gate. I guess the difference is, you know, to this level, no one would have thought that they'd be that. knocking on door to be the first, you know, the best team in the league, never mind the best team in the Western Conference. Uh, and the fact that they beat what I consider to be the best team in the Western Conference, uh, beat Nashville last night 3 nothing, uh, just goes to show that this team is... Is legit. Uh, absolutely. Um, I want to just touch on something for us. Uh, this is for us older guys out there. Uh, Toronto Maple Leaf goaltender Johnny Bauer passed away at 93 years old. And I got a little bit of a Johnny Bauer story. And for you younger guys, uh, this might be a little bit, uh, not shocking, but something you don't see much today in today's hockey. Um, during the off seasons back in the day, uh, the superstar players, like including Bobby Hull, Gordy Howe, Johnny Bauer, they had they had summer jobs. I mean, Gordy Howe worked for Eaton's. He promoted True Line hockey equipment. Uh, Bobby Hull promoted CCM. It wasn't uncommon to see these guys during the summer do like a, a national tour and uh, you know go to all the different branches of the stores and they would do autograph sessions. Well, I grew up in East Goldonan and I lived on Dunrobin Avenue. And at the corner of Dunrobin Avenue and Henderson Highway was a gas station. I'm not sure if it was BA, which stood, stands for British American, which morphed into Gulf. It was one of the two, but Johnny Bauer was doing a, a meet and greet autograph thing. And I just remember how gracious and how patient he was with all the kids. I mean, this is a guy that you know came into the NHL. He was basically a 33-year-old rookie. So he was in his mid-30s already doing the tour, signing autographs, and... Uh, uh, it is something like I got a great picture of him with his autograph. And back in those days, guys, these uh, the Gordy Howe, the Bobby, I have those. I still have these pictures somewhere. Those autographs were legible; they just weren't scribbled. And uh, that's my Johnny Bauer moment. Uh, something you don't see much of today. You see the odd. I think last year Nick Evers was at a shopper's drug mart, did a signing here or two, but or here or there. But uh, yeah, that was just a. Uh, it's just a sad day for the old guys. Hey, listen, it's way, way before, or sorry, way after my time, uh, you know, watching the Leafs, uh, you know, 
Mike Palmatier was the goalie and and the guy back in my day, but but Johnny Bauer has always been a gentleman, and and that part has never changed, and that part has always been ev- evident that he's been an amazing ambassador for Toronto and uh, for the Leafs, and uh, certainly a sad day without a doubt. For sure. Um, normally, I do my grades. I'll be doing them on the website where I where I publish my uh, midseason report, and I I go through every player individually. And I will do that, but just for just because we're here, and then it's the midway point. Let's uh, let's do some grading on the on the team, and then we'll go through. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do them as groups, like forwards, defensemen, goaltenders, and we'll single out some individual guys if we want, if, if we have time. I'm sure we do. So let's just start in goal. Um, what do you give the goaltending grade? Well, you have to give uh, give it an A, uh, without a doubt, and and in particular Connor Hellebuck an A plus, and. And and that's a slight drag for Steve Mason, as I was, uh, you know, because of his purely on a numbers perspective. But like I said, Steve earlier, Steve Mason has been, you know, made the recipient of maybe some bad luck and some bad bad games by the players in front of him, and so his numbers uh, aren't really a reflection of how he's played, uh, you know, over the course of of um, the season. So, you know. The goaltending has been the number one reason in my mind, uh, so uh, that the Jets are where they are, and uh, you know, so it's it's definite A. I agree, um, and I also agree with what Paul Marie said that before this year is done and this playoff season is done, not to count our chickens before they hatch. Uh, Steve Mason's still going to be a big part of this team, and uh, I'm glad we have him there. I mean, <laughs> I watched the game last night. The last couple of games, they've had the camera shots on him, and he looks very bored and unimpressed. <laughs> sitting on the bench and especially when he thought he was brought in here to be the man but uh, I agree the, the Jets goaltending has been an A uh, Connor Hellebuck has been an A plus 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 and I have nothing but good things to say about him so um, we'll leave it at that uh, let's move on to the defense uh, give it let's give it um, uh, an overall grade and then let's kind of single out or maybe do them by the pairings sure uh, defense I, I'm giving them this is like a. It, we'd have to agree uh, as a team. They've got a, a solid A uh, rating, right? Okay. So, yeah. um, so it's hard to say that as a group, a defensive group or a forward group, that they're not close to an A. But I'm giving them the defense a B plus uh, rating overall, um, uh, with the lone exception of uh, Josh Morrissey, that in in my mind is a solid A. If not pushing a solid A, you know, or, or an A plus, because he's basically done it all and and is ready to take the next step in my mind, uh, in terms of uh, more ice time, more power play in particular. Um, he has an ability to get the puck to the net, which seems to lack with this defensive group. So, I think that's I think that's where some of the fine tuning comes into getting a higher rating as a group, is some of those smaller details that, uh, um, you know. The pairings uh, at times, uh, you know, Myers and Kulikov, where they get themselves in trouble, as an example, is not getting that puck up. You know, they, they can skate it up so far, but they make some bad choices on, on when they're going to move the puck up to the forward. So there's some minor details and, and a little nitpicking there. But I, I give those guys a solid B plus pushing an A. Um, I know it's a small sample size, but uh, what, what the heck, he's been pretty good, so 
So, so he's going to get a positive grade, but let's just throw Tucker Pullman in there. He should probably be being incomplete, but you know what? What the heck? Let's uh, give him a grade. What do you figure? I, I think under the, under his circumstances, uh, under his scope, it's a solid B plus. Um, and because he he's played simple, he's moved the puck up, he's been able to handle the physicality, and he doesn't look undermatched by any stretch. And that's twenty, you know, as a twenty-four-year-old defenseman who's who's played four years of college, he's going to come in with a lot more maturity in his game than than others, uh, you know, who are in their first or second year of, of you know pro hockey. So he's got the benefit of of that physical maturity, uh, you know, and and even a mental game that's a little more mature than than typical rookies would come in with. Um, but I'm under his small scope. I'm giving him a B plus. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I thought, uh, of course, he started out a little bit slower and cautious, and you could just see him gaining a little bit of confidence. He'd move the puck. He'd do. He'd, he'd actually try a little move. Uh, I think. <laughs> I hate to say this, Jake, <laughs> Mr. Truba, but uh, uh, I think Tucker Pullman's next in line to be running the, the back end of that power play. He looks like he has good offensive instincts. I I was concerned about him coming off with two shoulder injuries. And obviously, it hasn't even been a problem whatsoever. So, Mm-mm. nothing but good things with him going forward. Uh, let's move on to. Well, do we want to talk about the pairings? Yeah, let's. Okay, let's let's go with. Uh, let's go with with Josh and Truba. Um, they're the number one pairing. I, I have to give them an A as a group. You know, like if we're going to look at it as a pairing, Truba is close to an A in my mind uh, individually, and with Josh's uh, pushing A plus. Uh, they're a solid A. They are the only thing that's lacking in their game is a little more offense contribution, in particular with Truba. If you're going to be a number one and two in this league, I think you're going to have to deliver a little bit more on the offensive side, and which I, you know, I'm not sure what their ceiling is in that regard, in particular with Truba. I'm not convinced that he's going to be that offensive dynamo that perhaps we thought he had in his game. I, you know, Morsi. More, I think he's got his game is suited to being a quarterback in the power play. He's got the ability to get the puck, as I was mentioning earlier, get the puck to the net. He's got the ability to make those solid passes. So I'm giving him an A, uh, but there's still room for them as a one-two uh, t- to take another level. Okay, we talked about uh, <clears throat> Tyler Myers and Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, let's just give them a final grade. Uh, I'm going to give them a, a B plus uh, yep, for that okay. for that pairing. Um, uh, again, they've been put into perhaps a situation their u- utilization is a little bit taxing at times, and they could withstand with a few less minutes going forward. Uh, but you know, they're as I mentioned earlier, their Corsi stats they're they're on above they're at 52 percent both of them. You can't argue with that. You know, uh, so it's a solid B plus for them. Yep. Okay. So, um, and, and lately too, picking up the slack, you know, taking on a lot of Dustin Bufflin's minutes. Uh, let's go to the last pairing, which would be Dustin Bufflin with Toby slash Ben Sherratt. Tough one there. Uh, they're gonna be, that pairing is still a B. Uh, you know, if not a B plus, because they still did some good things when they were here. Both Buff, uh, Bufflin and Enstrom have been out of the lineup for quite a bit. You know, 10 games for Bufflin. Uh, he's, he could be an A player if, his, if he's able to get his offensive game kicked in. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, he's still without a goal. Um, he's made a concerted effort, Buffalo in particular, of being def. It looks like he's being defense first and not taking. Uh, you know, notwithstanding last night's game when he came back, I think I think uh, Charlie had to pull him back a little bit and cut it. You know, so I blame the coaching on that side of it. Uh, if there's to be a blame placed, but. Um, you know, I think there's still more uh, to come out of Buff. Yeah, I agree. The thing I like about Ben Chirot is Ben Chirot knows who he is. He's uh, he, he tries to keep the game simple, and that's the way he should play. Uh, big Buff can drag around any partner, I think. Yes. And uh, he's done a pretty good job with that. And sherrod has been a physical, simple player. Yeah. So in that sense... He's done absolutely, and he's gotten better at, over the course of the season. Earlier in the season, he, you know, and that that's a byproduct of of ice time and consistency of ice time. And he's he's had a consistent level of ice time uh, given the injuries, and he's done a nice job. Him and Pullman have not looked out of place as that third pairing when they were together here for the last uh, 10, 15 games. Different type of depth uh, we we're seeing now than we have over the previous uh, previous years, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the forwards. Let's just give okay. Let's just start out with well. Um, let's just do an overall grade for the the 12, 13, 14 forwards that have played. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to give Matthias and Dano incompletes, but let's uh, let's give the forwards grades and then we'll do uh, we'll go through them line by line. Sure. Uh, overall, I have to give them an A because. Uh, they have the depth of that forward group has been um, a contributing factor to our success. Um, we've we've got more work, more goals and more positive play out of the bottom end of our lineup this year than we did all of last year, and in is in is there's still opportunity there to 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 improve it with some of the players, but um, you know overall. That I think it's an eight. There's one guy in particular that I gave, you know, on an individual basis that that I think has to change, and and he's one of the only forwards that I that has uh, this rating, and I gave him a C minus, uh, and that's uh, Brian Little, and and um, there's more, I know he's been focused on on defending on behalf of his line mates with Ehlers and and Line, but at some point. They've got to be responsible for their own mistakes, and Little's got to take care of both ends of the ice, and he's got to got to kick in. Yeah, there's a lot on his plate right now, isn't there? Yes, and 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 couple that with the fact that he's always been a streaky player. He he'll score. If you, I I I don't know the stats on this, but my gut tells me that the majority of his goals every year and his points every year are in less than a third of the goal of the games played. So. It's it's a it's a problem for Little to overcome the defensive side of having two younger players and not being the type of guy that uh, is super consistent on on the point side anyway. Maybe that'll change a little bit with Matthew Perot on his line now. The next six to eight weeks, the uh, strikeout. I'm I'm hoping so. Yeah, that's I, I'm exactly. hoping so. I I think I think uh, mm. Perot has that ability to to stir the drink wherever he's played, and you know. Perot, Little, and Wheeler played together last year for a good chunk of time, and they were very good. And I'm and I'm convinced that maybe they got to go back to that for the sake of those of, of those two players, Little and Perot. You know, leave those those guys together, uh, and and figure it out um, okay. from there. Okay, let's go to the fourth line, and we'll uh, 
we'll give them we'll give them their grade. So basically, the fourth line for the for the bulk of the year has been Hendricks, uh, Armia, and I'm already forgetting who the well Perot was there for the longest time too. Yeah, kind of Perot. Okay, let's well let's let's because that was the line. Let's just go with them. If that's your fourth line with Perot on it, or do you want to do it with Perot being where he is now? Well, I'm only looking at it from. You can't grade the line with someone who hasn't played there. Like, yeah. you know, you would put Tanev down there, who's been there over the last few games before, uh, you know. So it's kind of hard to put somebody into that place and grade him as a group when the majority of this season was played with Perot. And so that line, in my mind, was a C plus B because of Perot. Absolutely. Right? No, like it's... No argument there. You know, and Armia is starting to find his groove here a little bit more after a slow start. And and so, you know, you can't give them a C- minus or, or less because they've been kicking in. Well, it's funny because, you know, now with Joel Armia, you know, uh, replacing Tanev with, on the Lowry line, um, he's starting to show... Uh, I didn't think they, were, they would be a good mix because Adam Lowry... Uh, he's a different type of player. He's not a playmaker, but he's actually a better skater than I think most of us give him credit for. But I'm going to agree with you on the fourth line. Just overall, whoever has been in the blender hasn't hurt this team. They've been actually an asset. They've chipped in some goals. Um, so, yeah, we're going to give them a, you know, a, a B to B+. Plus. So let's just move up to the next line. So for the most part for the whole season, it's been Lowry, it's been Kopp, and it's been Tanev. And Tanev's been a lightning rod of, of criticism. But for whatever reason... He kind of works on that line. Uh, that <laughs> this line last year, they were uh, uh, they were interesting to watch. You could you could sort of see something was budding there, but this year on the statistical side, you start to re- see the benefits. I still don't think they score enough, but they spend a lot of time in the offensive end. Their analytics numbers are, are very very good. And and they're the best on the ask. team. Yeah, they are the best on the team. Uh, it hasn't it hasn't correlated to pucks in the net yet. Uh, but even in saying that, Adam Lowry's having probably uh, his best offensive season. And you know, for those of you that forget, when he was in the WHL, he was a pretty dominant player offensively. And a lot of that is the fact because he was big and he could have his, you know, he could have his own way against players that were smaller than him. But as a pro, um, you know, it doesn't have to happen overnight. He's still a, he's still considered a young player, and he's starting to show a little bit more offense in his game. So. Uh, my grade for the third line is I'm going to give them a B, B plus two. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's for me it's a B plus. Under the circumstances, they're a fourth line. I mean, let's let's be honest. They score like a fourth line needs to contribute. Um, you know, uh, eight goals for, for Lowry. Uh, collectively, uh, those three have got, I think, 15 goals on the season. That's more like a fourth line is going to score. Um They've been they've been up against some really good matchups, and they've done a great job defensively against some of the top lines that they've been thrown at. Um, they've certainly played up against the top six consistently all year, and have done a great job of shutting it down. Their stats, their analytic numbers tell you that that's the case. They just need to, you know, we need to get more scoring on that line, given the minutes that they get. Um, but under the context in which you know their skill set presents. I think it's a B plus all day long, and you know maybe with uh with with Armia up there now they're going to get some more goals. But Armia also has to, you know, he's got six on the year. He's a guy that's got to step up on the goal scoring side too, given his skill set. Yeah, he's always a guy that kind of leaves you always wanting more. Uh, I can see what the Buffalo Sabres saw in him 
when uh, they drafted him, and I can also see what the Winnipeg Jets saw in him when they wanted him included in the Kane deal. So let's move on to the second line. We've talked about them a bit. Uh, for the most part, for the whole year, it's been Brian Little, Patrick Liney, and Nikolai Ehlers. And uh, I'm a little hard on Brian Little because I just... I See, I think maybe I, I overrated him. I just think so highly of him that I expect more offensively. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned that uh, he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. He's trying to play defense for <laughs> cover-up for two young guys. But... Uh, on the plus side, he's uh, still a solid face-off guy. He still skates well. He's uh, on the second unit power play. Uh, I'm just hoping to get a little more out of him, and, and if we do, uh, look out. He's the biggest. He's the biggest uh, question mark, <laughs> uh, you know, in the top six. And 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 Roslovic doesn't solve that problem no. right now. So I I want fans to be you know realistic. He's dominating. He's the top scorer in the AHL but that doesn't mean he's going to come in and be a a a top six and produce at a at a top six level right out of the gate I don't think that's realistic and that would be an expectation you'd put on the player that would actually hurt him so um but he certainly would be a great third line guy so don't don't get me wrong there but that second line to me um at times defensively is problematic I think that amongst those three they've between Ehlers and Little, they've got to take the puck out of Line's hands. And what I mean by that is, Line can't be the guy carrying the puck into the zone. He makes too many mistakes and quick, easy turnovers inside the blue line. I'd rather have him be what he is, an elite shooter. Yeah. And I want that, that, that's the kind of growth that I want to see out of that line going forward. I'm giving them a B plus, A minus, only because Little... You know he's his numbers are down a bit. His numbers are down, yeah. right? Uh, uh, it's it's solid A's for Liney and and Ehlers. I mean, they're tied. I mean, uh, Liney is tied for eighth in the league in scoring and from a goals perspective, and and uh, Ehlers is one goal back. So we're getting numbers there, but the depth of their game has to go to another level, and I think it comes from who's going to drive the play, and that's got to be Little driving the play more. Ehlers has got to work within that framework a little bit more too because he can get a little bit tough to play with at times. Again, nitpicking a little bit. I love Ehlers. Great player. Might be one of our best forwards, to be honest. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a guy that's definitely very good at zone entries for on the power play and at even strength. Let's get to the top line, uh, the big boys. Mark Shifley, uh, Blake Wheeler, and Kyle College. Uh, I'm not convinced Kyle Connor is a first-line uh, left winger. But uh, it seems to work for now. Uh, the line's been, uh, for the most part, pretty good. I think at times they get a little lax on the road, and that's that uh, a little bit loose. But uh, they've been, uh, like Paul Maurice likes to say, Mark Shifley is a driver now, and he really, really is. He's, a, he's an elite center, and he's one of the top centers in uh, the NHL. Without a doubt, and there was some conversation on, uh, on, on the radio show today about you know whether or not Mark Shifley gets the recognition. Well, he's got he is recognized left, right, and center in fa- uh, as being an elite center in this yeah. league now, and maybe to to his detriment because you know before uh, Shifley got hurt, he you know he wasn't producing points at the same level he was in the first uh, twenty games or twenty five games, thirty games, and the last ten games or so, he's he's kind of backed off a little bit, and you can see it in his game. It's a you know, jumping the zone a little bit too much and taking a few things for granted uh, in that regard. 
that's a A plus. That line is an A plus all day long. Blake Wheeler is an absolute MVP candidate in my mind. Um, he he's uh, what is he sixth in scoring, third in assists. The guy is a beast, and he will do absolutely anything for his team. And Connor has been a nice surprise. His game has gotten better every five games. You go. Oh, the guy's playing better than he did in the last five games. And that's all you can expect from a guy like him. He's on the puck. Um, he he almost took a puck off Gerard in, I think it was in in, uh, in overtime there uh, yesterday, where Gerard had a, a, a half a zone. He had a blue line to red line uh, zone uh, head start. And Connor almost caught him. And Gerard's not a slow skater. No. So... The guy is fast, and his key to his game is getting on that puck and creating opportunities, and he he's getting better at that all the time. He reminds me of, of well, let's go back to Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler, the last, since he put the letter, like when he even got the A, and then went from the assistant or alternate captain to the captain, he's a different player than the first three, four years. He, I mean, I was hard on Wheeler. I used to call him the king of the flybys. And that's kind of a little bit what Kyle Connor reminds me now. And you're going to get that a lot from college players that play on the big ice. It's all forecheck. You don't finish your checks. You peel back and a lot of flybys. And uh, Blake Wheeler is as physical, as good a power forward as there is in the league. His game has morphed and evolved. It's been astronomical. And the funny thing about it is, as he's matured, gotten more physical, grinded more, worked hard, look at his point totals. He's a point-per-game player right now. He's above his normal rate right now. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think it's a fluke. He's going to stay there. Shifley is Shifley. He is, a, like I say, the hockey nerd. He's got all the tools. Still a young guy. Kyle Connor is fast. And when he's on the four-check game and when he's grinding, I notice he plays a bit of a different game at home. And I'm okay with that because young guys are like that. They're a little braver, a little more physical at home. It's a little different on the road. It's a little more intimidating. It's different matchups. And I get that. His, his learning curve has been unbelievable. I wasn't a big fan of his game because I thought they were trying to fast-track a kid where he didn't belong. Going back to the Moose last year just proves once again, like we saying, like we keep saying, the AHL is not a punishment. It's the best developmental league in the, in the world, and there's a reason players go there, and he took full advantage of it. Kudos to um, Pascal Vincent. Did a nice job with him. Uh, for me, the surprise of the year... Do I think he's a first-line left-winger right now? No, but he fits in nicely there. and um, That's the key. Yeah. Because those three, those three guys all play a very similar straight-line type of, type of game. Yeah. And they fit into that, right? Whereas Ehlers and Laine, they're more, there's a lot more you know, zigzagging, and, and, uh, and which might be part of why it's harder for Little. Yeah. Okay, we've, uh, we, we've given the grades for all the players. Let's just do one final thing. Uh, let's give the grades for the special teams and with a s- smile on our face for the first time in seven years. Um, what are your grades for the special teams? Um, PK, I'm giving them a B because a middle of the pack, 81%. I, you know, it might be a B minus, uh, you know, it's a weird philosophy. They still like to collapse and block. Yeah. Cards they, and I don't want my elite players on I, that. I think that, that PK but. that PK could also be uh, you know they're 16th at 81 percent. They could be at 75 before you know it. Like yeah. the you know to your point, the style of play is susceptible to a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of that that PK. So 
you know, I caution my B is probably more you know, B minus pushing C plus, but at 16th, it's a huge improvement on what they were last year at, you know, at this time. Um, power play well they went from what were they 26 29th 28th somewhere you know hovering down to the bottom they're fourth in the league at a 24 percent yes a lot of the home ice uh, dominance has contributed to that but hey we'll take that it is what it is yeah exactly right it's a plus uh in terms of that that side so you know you always you always tweet out add the two numbers together you know, and if you're at a hundred percent, you're doing well. They're at hundred and five right now. Yeah. So if you use that measurement as a as you know, call it the benchmark yeah. as a benchmark only, they're succeeding quite well. Yep. Um, and you know what? And that's one of the things you have to give. I don't know. You know, I don't know the the day to day dealings with the Winnipeg Jets and the coaching staff, but it looks like they've got a mix that seems to be working. Maybe it's just all timing. The players are maturing and whatever, whatever. And uh, so the, the coaching staff has to get some credit. I know we were, there was, there was a lynch mob out there last year, and like Pomo still does some things that kind of drive me crazy. But overall, uh, the coaching staff has done a pretty good job, and they're getting the most out of our, uh, most out of our players. And the, I always, here's the thing, I can't be a hypocrite, because I always said special teams are on the coaches. Well, this year the special teams are good, so let's give the coaches some credit. Absolutely. Um you know, I, I'm giving them a B plus, uh, you know, A minus because of some nitpicking, you know. And at the end of the day, the best measurement for coaching is listen to the players. Yeah. They've got a ton of respect for the coaching staff. They, they, they feel that they're doing the right thing. So I can only imagine that the coaches are in interjecting themselves when needed, giving them the structure. You guys go execute. And when you're not executing, I'll bring you back and we'll get you back on, online. And that's not a bad way to, to be a leader from a coaching perspective with such a talented group of players. Yep. Let's just hope the second half goes as good as the first. Well, Daryl, uh, our time is up. I want to thank you for coming down to Motown, Morris, Manitoba. Do the podcast in person. This is a podcast number 72. It's the first time we've been in the same room. And it sure makes things a lot more enjoyable <laughs> and a lot easier. Uh, you know, with me being, you know, stuck here in Manitoba for another three months, I'm sure that uh, we'll do a few more podcasts in person. And... Uh, Maybe we'll get back together when you get back from your trip to Cuba. Absolutely. Jet fans um, and our listeners so at Winnipeg Hockey Talk, you can catch our podcast on uh, iTunes. Subscribe there. Like us. Do all the stuff you're supposed to do. We're also on Podomatic.com under Winnipeg Hockey Talk. And also, of course, we're on the WinnipegHockeyTalk.com website. So uh, drop by, have a listen. Uh, leave a couple comments. You can get uh, Daryl and I. We're both active on Twitter. We're there all the time. Leave your comments, your questions, and uh, thanks for listening, and uh, have a good New Year.